Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. Each week, we navigate the most important changes that affect pharmacotherapy. Plus, you can earn pharmacy and medicine CE credit. We know you're busy, so let us bring the learning to you. Click on Claim CE Credit in the show notes below. Now let's welcome your host, Jeff Wall, as he discusses this week's clinical practice game changers. Hello and welcome to the, another episode of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, uh, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. How are you doing? How are things going in your neck of the woods? Hopefully well, uh, where we're at and where this is being recorded. Uh, we're, we're in that kind of yo-yo time in the Midwest where our weather is real nice for a couple of days and real terrible for a couple of days and real nice for a couple of days. Uh, hopefully wherever you're at, the weather is at least okay and, and getting what you need to get done done. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We try to be a podcast that gives you all the latest pharmacotherapy information uh, right at your fingertips. This week, we are going to talk about something a little different, taking a little little right turn. We're going to talk about exercise instead of drugs. Exercise is very important. And uh, to help me talk about that, uh, I'd like to introduce uh, Keaton Higgins, who's a pharmacy student at the University of Iowa. Keaton, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, good morning. Uh, Again, my name is Keaton Higgins. I am a third-year student at the University of Iowa College of Pharmacy. Um, I do have previous undergraduate experience uh, at the University of Northern Iowa in athletic training, Uh, so I'm a certified athletic trainer as well, Um, and I have dreams of becoming uh, integrating the pharmacist into the sports medicine team, so this is a topic that I'm very passionate about, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you about it today, Jeff. Perfect. And I appreciate you taking time to, to come here, especially a P3. If, if it's anything like the P3s I have at Drake, uh, you're running around with your head chopped off in the middle of a million classes right now. So we appreciate it. But uh, Keaton's uh, expertise in athletic training, again, he's a, he's a certified athletic trainer and the pharmacy exposure, I think, is, is gives him a very unique window on this. And so uh, the paper that we're going to talk about is a paper that was recently published in JAM Internal Medicine. And it, was a, it wasn't a huge paper. It was actually uh, one of the research letters that they published in JAM Internal Medicine talking about the effect of, of extra exercise on overall mortality. In fact, the, it's, it's actually the, the name of the, the research letter is uh, estimated number of deaths prevented through increased physical activity among U.S. adults. And so, you know, again, I, I don't think I need to convince anybody listening that exercise is good for you. I, I hope I don't have to convince anybody of that. But, you know, the problem has always been how do you quantify that, right? And there have been several attempts to do that. There have been several attempts to kind of systematically quantify, well, if you exercise this much, you improve this factor of your health by this percentage or, th- or this, it's et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, one of the highest or one of the hardest outcomes you can pick, of course, is mortality. And so there have been a couple of previous studies that have said, okay, can we quantify the effect of physical activity on reduced mortality in, 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 a, in a population? And the problem with these studies have always been is they've been relatively small. The reporting of how much exercise people were doing was self-reported, which again, may be accurate, but I suspect in some cases may not be accurate as well. They rely on convenience samples. So again, people who tend to want to volunteer for this stuff are probably going to want to uh, exercise anyway. And so that, that, that tends to have some selection bias in there. And it assumed in several of these previous studies that people were going to go become Tour de France riders or, you know, ultra marathoners and start running three day, three hours a day and all that other stuff. And let's just be honest, that's probably not an achievable goal for the overwhelming majority of people who probably would benefit from exercise. So this paper, again, a research letter that was published in JAMA Internal Medicine, tried to do a, I'd say, more realistic job of trying to assess 
the effect of routine exercise and increasing physical activity on overall mortality. And they, to do this, it was still a, a, a large retrospective study, but they did use the NHANES data. So those of you who I'm sure are familiar with this, the NHANES data stands for, for National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. It is a gigantic survey that they enroll tons of patients in that basically uh, is one of the best databases we have to look at a wide variety of outpatient treatments. And I think that's where I've seen most of this data is in, for example, the treatment of hypertension. You know, I always, every, every couple of years, uh, authors take a look at the NHANES data and then they basically say, okay, well, you know, we, uh, of, the, of the patients who have hypertension, we can now take a look at what medications they're on. We can take a look at, are they under control, et cetera, et cetera. So you can do all sorts of stuff with this data. Um, it, it is a prospective cohort data, but, but they take a look backwards in time. And so the studies themselves are, are usually retrospective, but they're following these patients prospectively and have collected all this data on these patients over time. So this is a cohort study then using the NHANES data from 2003 to 2006. So for long before COVID and, and anything that would, that, would, that would kind of mess with that, it's a representative survey of, of U.S. civilians. They're non-institutionalized. They do include oversampling for non-Hispanic Black participants as well as Mexican-American participants. And in this case, part of the NHANES survey was they asked patients ages six and older to wear, wear an accelerometer for seven days. And so this basically allowed them to have a much, much more accurate estimate of the actual physical activity people were doing instead of just what they were saying, right? So they were able to actually do that. And so uh, um, they act in the, in this part portion of the NHANES study, they actually got 6,300 patients to wear accelerometers for at least seven days. In this study, they evaluated 4,840 of those 6,355 uh, patients. These patients were age 40 to, to 85, and they excluded patients either because they refused to participate in the monitoring protocol, there was some problem with their accelerometer, it didn't work anymore, uh, some other stuff. And then they took that data and then they looked at mortality follow-up completed versus the national, national death index linkage through December 31st, 2015. So they didn't just look for those three years that the NHANES cohort was in, but they followed those same patients forward in time through 2015. I think a good way to do this is kind of take a look at a little more realistic way to look at physical activity. They did multiple cut points looking at amount of time physical activity. Because again, you know, the odds of somebody who, you know, is, is, you know, has the average working job with family running around with their head chopped off, trying to assume that they're immediately going to jump into two full hours of exercise every day of the week is probably unrealistic. And so I think they, they wanted to get a better idea of physical activity by different cut points. And so they looked at, at basically 20 minute cut points starting at 20 to 39, 40 to 59, et cetera, et cetera, all the way up to greater than 140 minutes. So the lowest physical activity uh, cohort was 20 to 39 minutes. The, the highest activity cohort was greater than 140 minutes. They then figured out something called an adjusted population attributable fraction. And they did this by multiplying the U.S. population annual number of deaths for 2003 for individuals in that 4084 uh, background. And then they used uh, population pre uh, prevalence as, uh, estimates and hazard ratios to try to adjust for some of the big confounders, right? Age gender, race, ethnicity, education level, body mass index, patient's diet, patient's alcohol use, smoking status, and other self-reported chronic conditions, just general health stuff. They basically came up with this population attributable fraction and then basically did propensity analysis or large matching analysis that, that helped adjust for all these different types of possible confounders. They then did hazard ratios using cost-proportional hazards and other regression models to confirm the one thing they were looking at, which was physical activity, right? So after they developed this model and took a look at all the patients up through 2015, 
2015, they came up with this, this population attributable fraction and then adjusted for everything they big that they could, and then basically had one exposure left, which was this physical activity from, from the NHANES data. They did several analyses. They ran the, the, the number several times, taking a look at, at different uh, amounts of activity a day. It was up to 10, 20, 30 minutes higher than what the observed values were to see if there was any extra benefit. They did exclude patients who were classified as frail, who required equipment to walk. And I think that kind of makes sense. So, and, you know, they basically left everybody else and, and, and kind of had what they had there. So what did they find? Well, uh, they found actually pretty impressive information, basically. So the analysis, as I said, in, included uh, 4,840 participants, and we'll have a, a link to the show notes um, of this of this paper. If you take a look, it's pretty much who I think you'd expect to see kind of in this. The mean age was actually anywhere from 57 to 58, basically. BMI was 29. Gen there was a preponderance of women in the study, though it was very close, uh, somewhere around 53 to 47% in most cases. Uh, ethnicity, as you might imagine, anywhere from 77 to 81% were, were considered white, about 10% considered black, and about 3.1% uh, considered uh, Mexican-American in this. Pretty even spread as far as education level and uh, body weight, though, this being the United States, uh, somewhere around uh, 65 to 70% of patients were either considered overweight or obese in this cohort. About half of patients did say they currently drink, and about half of patients either never were smokers, and about 30 uh, to 40% of patients were smokers. So again, pretty standard for, for what you see in, in, in the United States. As far as other comorbid conditions, as the ages went up, as you might imagine, the incidence of a lot of these comorbid conditions came up. So uh, in the younger cohort, it was as little as 5%, but in the higher cohort, it was as high as 24%. Uh, stroke, coronary artery disease, heart failure, all those things that were very low in the younger cohorts, and they went up as, as the cohorts basically went up. Then what they basically found when they did this analysis, that when they looked at adjusted hazard ratios, and so basically if the number is less than one, the activity would benefit mortality, basically. So if the, if the number is less than one, you would have a decreased risk of mortality. And what they found was pretty much across the board, when you looked at these different cut points, dramatically decreased the risk of, of mortality. So if you use less than 20 minutes of, of physical exercise a day as the reference, even an extra zero to 19 minutes a day of physical activity actually dropped the hazard ratio for death by 31%. So the hazard ratio was 0.69. So very impressive. As those numbers went up, that hazard ratio went down. So the more exercise you did, the less your hazard ratio and the more benefit you had against mortality. And so I won't read all the numbers. You can certainly do that if, if you read the paper. But interestingly, it seems to kind of plateau off at about you know, anywhere from kind of 30 to 60 minutes. And then as you pass 100 minutes, then the number really, really goes down again. And actually, you get to the point where people who are able to exercise 140 minutes a day actually had a hazard ratio of 0.28, just absolutely incredible. So you're talking a 72% decrease in mortality in people who are able to, to, to have 140 minutes more of physical activity. Now, again, I'm not saying that people should immediately run out and start running two hours a day or anything like that. Again, I'm not sure that that's, that's going to fit in the lifestyle of most people who are listening. What I think this means is that there is a, I wouldn't say it's linear, it's probably more of a curvilinear a relationship between physical activity and a decreased mortality kind of across the board. And all it takes is, is an extra 20 minutes a day to really get that first big jump that really that first big cut that you see down, like I said, 31%, and then every it kind of de declines after that. So you certainly don't have to, to, to be a big marathon, or you don't have to be a triathlete to just get some exercise and it's associated with improvement. So when it was all said and done, increasing physical activity by 10, 20 or 30 minutes a day was associated with a 6% 
13% and 17.9% overall decrease in the number of deaths per year, respectively. And they even went further than that and actually drilled down and looked at kind of almost number needed to treat, if you would. They estimated that adding 10 minutes a day of physical activity to this general cohort would result in, if you expanded it out to the whole U.S. population, would result in an estimated 111,000 preventable deaths per year, which is just staggering, in my opinion. So, you know, if you could get everybody in, in, in the country to just exercise 10 minutes more a day who fit the, the criteria of the study, this data suggests that's associated with, with 110,000 preventable deaths. And those numbers, as you might imagine, just as, the, as you do more activity, those numbers go up and up to whether if, if everyone could do 30 minutes of physical activity a day, it approaches 300,000 preventable deaths. Just absolutely amazing. So, and again, I don't think you'd have to convince too many people that physical activity is a good thing, but this is the first time I think a paper or a group of investigators have actually tried to quantify that. I mean, can we use this information and how can we use this information to, to really inform our patients' choices on how to do physical activity? And so I think that's going to be the intersection here. We all agree that, that physical activity is beneficial and this quantifies that, that benefit pretty significantly. I was a bit gobsmacked about just how much physical activity can, can, can have the potential to really improve mortality, um, you know, and, and, that, and, and again, this is, this is a, a retrospective study. So again, yes, correlation does not prove causation, and I'm, and I'm not suggesting that. But this, I think, really does a pretty good job of, 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 of giving us a number that we can at least use for education, I think, for our patients. So I'd like to talk again to Keaton, who's again joined us, you know, again, you've got training as an athletic trainer, as well as being a pharmacy student, you know, what, what did you think of this study? And where do we go from here? basically. Yeah, Jeff, I really think this was a, a fascinating study. The large number of participants and everything like that really just helped, again, like you said, quantify this information that we've all known basically all alone. Uh, from my personal experience, obviously, I consider health and wellness my highest priorities in life. So I've always known these things, but it is good to have this data to be able to present to, to point to when we are having those conversations. And uh, from a student pharmacist perspective, this is really interesting to me because uh, well, we're learning about all of our pharmacology and our, and our clinical information and things. First line treatment for a lot of disease states, you know, high, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, they're usually lifestyle modifications, diet and exercise and things like that. And they just throw us cookie cutter 30 minutes, three times a week. And that kind of just does the job to cover the, life, the lifestyle modifications and diet. But from that, we move on to the, the medications, of course, in which we are the experts, supposed to be the experts on. So that makes sense. But um, I just see so much potential here with this, this information, especially from a, a community pharmacy sense. Being the most accessible healthcare professional, patients are coming to us with, with these questions about how do we do these things in our life? How do, we, how do I become healthier than things like that? And instead of just throwing out that cookie gutter 30 minutes a day for three times a week, um, we can really have that conversation with their patients and say, okay, yeah, maybe that 30 minutes, three times a week uh, is good. But even if you increase your, uh, from zero minutes to 10 minutes, there's a 7% decrease that we found um, in more uh, preventable deaths every year. And then just being able to dive into more, a little bit deeper uh, information about that, I think I would really appreciate um, some, some more education built into the pharmacy curriculum. Of course, with my background, I already had that information and I'm able to, to present that information to my patients and have those conversations with them. But instead of just kind of glossing over the fact that exercise is so important, going into more details about that. And then more of a, like a, a practical, quantifiable application of this. Again, if we're just having those conversations with the patients, yes, they're starting a lysinopro for their blood, blood pressure, but 
hey, how about we just throw in there? Hey, go walk, go walk around the block a couple of times a day for 10 minutes. That's also going to help tremendously. Or in this, with those increases that we mentioned, those 10, 20, 30 minutes a day. Yeah, I realize we're all busy people in life, but just that little bit of 10 minutes every day, that's how much profound impact that they can have on those decreased deaths, on those increased healthcare, on those increased uh, quality of life, things like that. So I see a lot of potential with this. I'm really glad this, this came out. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it, Jeff. So, you know, I agree. And again, we want to be clear that this is not a randomized control trial. So of course, you know, this is this correlation, not causation. And, and I get all that. But, you know, if you want to take a step back, you know, you're talking about an intervention whose odds ratio for mortality blows, for example, statins out of the water, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, even at its best, statins decrease relative risk of mortality for in, in secondary prevention of coronary disease by about 35, 40%. This mm -hmm. was more like, I mean, if you had somebody who exercised, you know, you know, an hour a day, that was more like 70%. So, and again, I know we're comparing apples and oranges a bit here, but you're right. I think that you can say, you know, one of the things this paper does do is help us actually put a number or put, put an idea on the magnitude of benefit because again everyone you know everyone's heard their whole life yeah you know exercise is good for you okay well yeah no i totally agree exercise is good for me you know how good is it for you reminds me of the old joke by dennis leary where you know he joked that people who jog is how longer they're going to live and he talked about how jim fix who was one of the greatest joggers of the mid-20th century and and really you know was one of the people in the 1970s who really got the jogging craze started was hit by a bus <laughs> you know and so he made a whole he made a whole uh, riff about and hey, maybe jogging isn't so good for you you know obviously that's a joke i think it's one of those things where it's like you know everyone agrees that that exercising is good for you but being able to quantify it and being able to say here's your lysinopro for high blood pressure look I get it. You probably don't think you have time for exercise, but I think it always boils down to time, of course. But if you could take five minutes with your patients and just say, tell me a little bit about what you think you could do for exercise. Okay. I'm not saying go join a gym. I'm not saying sign up for a marathon. I'm saying what low impact exercise could you do? You know, just think about it with me for five minutes and see what you come up with. And you're right. I mean, you know, if you could do that 10 minutes a day, five days a week, even, I think that now we can say, hey, that's associated with a central between a six and a 10% drop in mortality, you know, for basically 10 minutes. And you're probably going to feel better and you're probably might even lose a little weight. I mean, et cetera. I mean, obviously the benefits are way out there. So, you know, so as an athletic trainer, I guess then, you know, how would you approach that? Okay. Let's say you're working in the pharmacy. This is the perfect patient that you think you could talk to kind of walk me through what you might say to them. Yeah, those are all great things that you mentioned. And I think like what we're all pushing towards to, uh, in the pharmacy profession is having that more contact with patients. So I think that pharmacists in general should be running towards this opportunity, have these conversations with patients. Um, a little bit of tangent here, but instead of just referring them off to a dietitian or an exercise specialist, why not spend that five minutes, like we said, to have those conversations. As soon as you tell them, yep, here's some, a little bit, little bit of information about it, go talk to somebody else. What's the chance they actually do have that conversation with that person? I'm going to guess it's a little bit lower than if you just had that five minutes of time with them to have those conversations. So a conversation uh, for me with the patient would probably go something similar to something that you mentioned, um, just taking that extra three to five minutes. Okay, yeah, so we, can't, we have these medications for your blood pressure. Here are these numbers that we have now to prove just increasing 10 minutes a day um, and then just walking through, yes, people have limitations. Yes, people have lack of resources, things like that. But if you can get out, um, you can walk through the kind of a, a stepwise. If you can go around, walk around the block for 10 minutes every day. Oh, you can't walk your knees hurt. Oh, you have a bike. You can ride that for 10 minutes a day. And then, of course, it takes more resources, but okay, you can't right. ride a bike. You have access to a pool. That's very, very low impact, things like that. And that's even better for you. 
So just having those conversations, giving the patients the, the options, the opportunities to expand on this exercise while removing the barriers and removing uh, any frustrations or question marks they might have about it. Because they, I, I guess, have, I'm sure, as you mentioned, I'm sure everybody's aware of how good exercise is for you, but do they know how to apply those things in their life? Do they have the resources to apply those? Do they have the knowledge? Do they understand uh, what's good, what's bad for them? So having that conversation with them, if it's again, three to five minutes, it's going to increase their education level. It's going to know that they have the support system in you instead of just saying, okay, yep, exercise is good for you. Go talk to somebody else about it. It's not my right. job. Right. Of building up that relationship with your patients, I think is so beneficial. And, and again, I think, I think as a pharmacy profession, that's what we're headed towards. We want that more clinical patient interaction, things like that. So why not integrate this into pharmacy education? Why not integrate this into pharmacy practice? Yes, we're not the experts in exercise, but we should still have those things in our toolkit to be able to help our patients. And hopefully there's not a pharmacist out there that, that thinks that medications are better than exercise, you know, but having that opportunity, I think, is just going to help advance the profession of the pharmacy um, and help us make even a greater impact on our patients and things like that, Jeff. No, I agree. And I would say not just pharmacy school. I mean, I, I work with with a, a wide number of, of medical students and with, I can say with some assurity that the lifestyle modifications are, are largely given kind of short shrift, right? I mean, you know, you know, everyone says, yep, you need to do this. Okay, so tell you know, yes, absolutely tell your patients to eat right and exercise, but then we don't really spend a whole lot of time actually saying, well, how do we do that? I mean, you know, and, and you know, they, they're not idiots. They, I'm sure they see this on, on, on TV and, and read about it. I mean, they, they know it's good for them, but they're not doing it. So how can we overcome those barriers? And, you know, I know in, in the, uh, one of the movements in, I think, in medical education and pharmacy education in the last 20 years has been the, you know, the health coach movement. And while I don't think every pharmacist wants to be a health coach, I think that there's some elements of that, of positive behavioral uh, modification, sort of, you know, a positive behavioral life, you know, lifestyle changes that we can impart on people. And I think you're right. And you know, like so many things in, in, in the community pharmacy, it just comes down to time and of course, payment, because who's going to pay of the course. pharmacist, you know, to, to, you know, to do that. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Any last thoughts about the study or anything? Yeah, I, th I think there's a lot of promise here. There's a lot of potential here. And I'm really excited to see this come out. And I'm really excited just to see kind of the, the evolution of uh, the pharmacist's role in exercise. And that's really, again, what I'm passionate about. So I appreciate having the conversation with you, Jeff. And uh, thanks for uh, walking me through everything. No, not at all. So thanks, Keaton. For... So again, I mean, you know, bottom line is, yes, you know, this is hardly breaking news. It's going to be on <laughs> CEN that, that exercise is good for you. But I honestly do think that the numbers that they generate from this paper can be used as an, as an education point when somebody says, well, how good is exercise for me? Or, you know, someone who says, yeah, 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 I've heard all of my life that exercise is good for me. If you can say, look, you want to drop your chances of dying by eight to 10%. Well, I can't guarantee that, of course, but it sure seems like we've got some evidence now that suggests that even just 10 minutes of exercise a day can make that difference. And, and I think having that, having those numbers does help make people make decisions and, and does influence behaviors. Hopefully it will. So, all right, well, thanks very much. Um, so that's it for this week of, of Game Changers. Again, thank you for listening. We will see you next week. But until then, remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening in. Claim your CE credit by clicking on the link in the show notes. And check out CE Impact's other education at ceimpact.com, where we curate the most important information in pharmacy and medicine to deliver straight to you. Join today to connect your learning to practice.